Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us today. We have uh, just a few moments, something very exciting to get into, but before we do so, Dr. Woodward, how are you today? Oh, I'm having far too much fun, uh, both serving with the CSLO Society, uh, my new title, Senior Lecturer, Founder and Senior Lecturer, kicks in just in a few days, and we have our amazing, awesome, powerful speaker, writer, all-around great guy, you know, Michael Sherrard is coming in as our new president, so we have a kind of a three-way team, uh, Tom Woodward, Mike Sherrard, and Dave Englehart leading the C.S. Lewis Society, and we're looking forward to a ministry on the Princeton University campus, which features Max McLean, the famous actor of the movie, the guy, you know, the most reluctant convert, you know, the untold story of C.S. Lewis, that's a great film, and Max McLean is a fantastic scholar and movie actor, and so we're excited to have him coming to Princeton. And that's just the start of the story. Are you ready for the rest of the story? Oh, I think I'm ready. <laughs> that's great. <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, I think the most exciting thing for me in months, if not years, was the opportunity we had during our January 14th banquet here in Clearwater, Florida. And we did a, that was a Friday night event, and then we did a Saturday morning breakfast event at a church in Tampa, and we just had an amazing opportunity with the one and only Eric Metaxas. Dr. Eric Metaxas was with us for those uh, two days, and his two talks were beyond incredible. They were fabulous. They were spectacular. I had so many emails. People were writing me to me uh, saying, that was the most amazing banquet I ever attended. Metaxas was incredible, and he was on fire. Well, he's very excellent as a communicator, but he tends to be also very witty, and that's not a bad combination. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wit is uh, was on full display. And the great thing is that we just received the audio. The video will go up here in a couple of days, and we'll send out a blast email on that. But the audio we have, we've captured it, and we're going to actually share about the first 18 minutes of Friday night's talk right here on our program. Are you excited? I am excited. It was an awesome talk that's just loaded with information. And actually, we were hanging out with some friends just a couple weeks ago, and one of them, just out of the blue, when I brought it up, said, oh, I'm going to that Eric Metaxas event that the C.S. Lewis Society was doing, so what a small world. Yeah, that is a small world. Well, Metaxas, Dr. Metaxas was uh, speaking on his new book, is atheism dead? And I'm not going to try to, you know, give any, any kind of like o- overview of it because he, he was just so compelling uh, about the weakness of the current state of atheism that I want to just, you know, have an opportunity for everybody to hear as much of his actual sharing that night as possible. But I do want to just alert everyone that we are uh, not only going to be doing the video uh, with the audio of that Friday night talk, but we're going to do the one on Saturday where he continued. The discussion and actually did Q&A with Mike Sherrard and myself. It was so much fun, but it was powerful, and people were motivated. That's the key thing. So, And I think people need to be motivated because sometimes they just don't really know 
how powerful the evidence is trending away from atheism and toward God. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, why don't we go ahead and as I kind of intro, uh, because I think uh, we've got just a few seconds here as we get ready to click on the audio, you'll be hearing him present to an audience of about 300. Uh, the uh, actual lecture hall and dining hall, I should say, was packed to the gills. And so Eric Metaxas, uh, best-selling author, New York Times bestsellers number, I think about six or seven now, and his newest book, Is Atheism Dead?, uh, really was the subject and the, and the focal point of his Grand Slam home run presentation. So I think it's going to be great, and then we'll maybe come back and just have a quick word about it after we uh, listen to this amazing talk. Um, listen, uh, it is really such a blessing to be here. Uh, the ostensible, is that word, do you know the word ostensible? This woman was complaining about my vocabulary in my books. Um, the ostensible uh, subject tonight is my new book. It's called Is Atheism Dead? So I do want to want to talk about that, but I want to um, drift in a, in, a, in a few directions related uh, to that. First of all, let me tell you why I gave the book the title Is Atheism Dead? Because it's important to frame things correctly so you understand it's really not a book about atheism so much um, as it is a book about faith. But the reason I gave the book the title is Atheism Dead is because in 1966, some of you know that uh, Time Magazine published a famous, really infamous cover story that asked, is God dead? And I realized that the idea of the death of God, you know, Nietzsche uh, talked about that, that idea has been with us since before Darwin published, you know, Origin of the Species. The idea that we can we can be rational creatures and, and we can believe that, you know, everything is here apart from God. So that idea was always floating around in intellectual circles, but it didn't really trickle down into mainstream America until Time Magazine had the audacity to put it, you know, on your coffee tables in that cover article in 1966 to, to say, yeah, we think it's okay to share with middle America the, the, the idea that probably there is no God. So we'll put it in the form of a question uh, because, you know, it's a little bit less uh, provocative that way. But it really entered the national conversation. And I think since then, we have had this idea, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, or whoever you are, we've all kind of had this idea that somehow science is at odds with faith, and science is really pushing faith out of the picture. The more we learn from science, the less we need faith, right? Some people call that the God of the gaps, right? That, you know, you, you, you use God and religion to explain the stuff you can't understand. And once science can understand it, you don't need God anymore, right? Well, that idea has filtered into the culture dur during all of our lifetimes, so much so that even those of us who say we're believers, we've kind of bought into it to some extent, even though maybe we don't do it consciously, we kind of bought into that idea. Um, well, I'm here to tell you, shame on us, because guess what? It's not true. That's always a big problem with an argument, right? It's false. Problem number one, it's completely untrue. Problem number two, does, does problem number two matter? It's false. That's all you need to know. It's ridiculous, right? But what I, 
My wife just laughed at that. That's why we're married. You see what I'm saying? The rest of you just looked at me in stony face silence. And that's why I'm not married to any of you. But I'm married to that woman. Honey, take a bow. Come on. So. Oh, I know. I know. It's such a blessing to have a wife who laughs at my jokes. Um, but honestly, it's kind of a crazy thing that many of us who... The price we pay in this culture, right, uh, is we, we buy into some of these lies or, or, or we kind of go along. Like, you'll say things like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like these crazy Christians. Or, I'm a, you know, it's like, I'm a conservative, but, you know, I don't believe in white nationalism or whatever. I mean, as soon as you have to explain, you're already on the defensive. It's preposterous, you know. But we live in a culture that is so hostile to faith. And what I find funny is that over the years, I, I came to faith pretty dramatically uh, around my 25th birthday, and I, I started reading books of, you know, what we call apologetics, explaining how, how science is compatible with, with faith, or faith is compatible with science. And over the years, I read them more and more and more, and I thought, how strange, really, that this idea still predominates, that, that science and faith are somehow at odds with, with each other. But it wasn't until fairly recently that it really hit me hard, uh, like the, the, the grain uh, punch that we've been drinking in the VIP reception, right? You know what I'm talking about, man, you know, because you were there. Um, it, it was just wine and I only had a sip, just in case, you're worried. Um, but um, we've all kind of bought into this idea a little bit, and it, the reason I gave the book the title, Is Atheism Dead?, is that I said, given what we now know from science, from science only, okay, I mean, we can talk about other disciplines and ways of knowing, but just from science, ironically, since about 1966, the evidence from science has been pointing to faith, has been piling up, pointing to the idea that there is no chance that everything in the universe just kind of emerged by random, by, by accident or whatever. The universe, this planet, life, the idea that anything is here by accident, science now can make clear is, is, is it's not possible. So think of the irony. Science has been learning more and more about the world in which we live, about life, about everything, and the more we learn from science, the more it points to the idea that there's only one way it could have gotten here is through an intelligent designer. There's simply no other explanation. And, but, but what's funny, and again, this gets to how information travels and, and how we take things in, just because that's true doesn't mean anyone knows it. We still live in a world where everyone pretends that, yeah, probably there's no God or who's to say or you know, science continues to point us away from God. Even though that's not true, it's the narrative. And my thesis is that we got stuck in that narrative around 1966, and we've never gotten out. So any evidence for God from science or anything else tends to get brushed away because we figure, well, it's, it's an outlier. We all kind of know that the general trend is the more we learn from science, the less we need God, the more it points away from God. So. I titled the book as Atheism Dead because I honestly, once you know what I know, which is, is not much because I'm not, you know, a, a 
somebody who spends all his time focused on this, but, but the basics today, in 2022, couldn't be clearer. The evidence for God is utterly overwhelming. It, it's like saying, so is the, uh, is the earth flat? Are there any flat earthers out there? You know? And I'm sure there are people who feel like, yeah, I'm a flat earther. I mean, I've met some. I'm not kidding. But just because there's some people who say I'm a flat earther doesn't mean there's any question whether the earth is a sphere or not. Some questions are settled. And I'm here to say, when you look at the evidence, it's not even close whether there's a God. In other words, it, it, just because there are people who hate the idea so much that they will writhe and twist themselves into pretzels of illogic because they can't bear the thesis that there's a God, doesn't really change the fact that the evidence says there's a God. Now, if you want to argue about what kind of a God, if you, in other words, if you want to say I'm an agnostic, we can have a conversation. If you want to say I've got all kinds of problems with Christianity, we can have a conversation. But whether there's a God, I don't think there's a conversation to be had. And I think a lot of people, including Christians, say, well, that's very ungenerous of you. Well, no. It's like, it's like saying I believe in math. So if you think math is stupid, it's hard for me to say, well, I think you have a good point. Let's talk about it. Maybe, maybe we'll end up rejecting math by the end of the evening. Um, there are certain things that, that are silly, but I think... It's just, it takes cultural confidence and courage to push and to say atheism is dead. As a thesis, the evidence, it's, it's, it's open and shut by now. And, you know, most of you are probably saying, well, what do you mean? You know, because you haven't been exposed to what I'm talking about, just as I really hadn't been exposed to it. But when you get exposed to it, you're, the second shock is, how, how is it possible we don't all know this? In other words, you know, it, it's like finding out uh, about algebra, and you grew up in a world where there was no algebra, and you say, this is, uh, this is interesting, why haven't I heard of this before? That's how I feel about the evidence for God. So I want to talk a little bit about the evidence for God, just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. But really, just to tell you how I came to write the book, um, I, I met a, a guy in Houston, a doctor, some of you know Dr. James Tour. Does anybody here know Jim Tour? Okay, you guys can go take your cigarette break because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna talk about Jim, you already know. So just have a smoke and come back and, and we'll continue. James Tour, I met him at a dinner in Houston uh, through a friend, and he is probably the premier nanoscientist on the planet. Now nano, since you're, some of you are Greek, right? You know the prefix nano means extremely tiny, right? So Jim Tour is probably one of, the, one of the tiniest scientists who has ever existed. He's just almost impossible to see with the naked eye. No, that's not true. But he studies, he basically creates molecules in the lab. He's probably, probably uh, the, the greatest nanoscientist in the world, okay? So I had dinner with him, and he starts sharing with me, in a, in a humble way, because he's a profound Christian, he starts sharing with me about what, some of you will remember this, maybe in junior high or high school it was on the test, okay? What's called abiogenesis. If somebody says to you, hey, how did life come into being? We're not talking about how did life evolve, or did it evolve, or what happened. We're not talking about that. We're talking about there's no life, and then there's life. How did that happen? So if I ask most of you this, I know most of you rightly are embarrassed right now because you don't know the answer to that. You live on planet Earth. You're alive. What could be a more basic question than, hey, life, how did that happen? 
And you say, well, God created it. Yeah, okay, but what, what do you, if you ask a scientist, what do they say, okay? They will all say, well, in 1952, there's a famous experiment at the University of Chicago, the Miller-Urey experiment, where they ran some electricity through a solution, you know, the, the, something like the prebiotic soup. They, they, they kind of concocted roughly what would have been on the surface of the Earth about four billion years ago, right? And, uh, you know, they don't know exactly, but they've got some photographs from that era, and they kind of try to figure it out, right? And so they put this together, and of course there's no, there's no light, but they ran electricity through it, and they got some amino acids out of it, right? Now they were so excited that they got some amino acids out of it, they were kind of like, hey kids, we're off to the races. We got amino acids, next thing you know, we're gonna have proteins and carbohydrates and, and cells and leaping fish and soaring doves and animals and things. Any minute, any minute, it's gonna happen. Now, that's the naivete of science, okay? That, that based on that, which in its own way was a faulty experiment, but, but the point is that they were so enthusiastic about the model of life emerging without God that they were kind of like, don't worry about the details, we'll get to it. We got amino acids, we've got the first step. Now, many of us, this was on a text, this is in textbooks. This is how we know life came into being. The most primitive life on Earth four billion years ago was a simple cell, and we, we know that this is how it started, right? So Jim Tour is telling me this, and he's saying, in, in effect, he, he didn't say to me like, hey, I'm the smartest guy on the planet with this stuff. He didn't say that because he's a Christian, but I'm here to tell you he is, right? He understands what can happen on this molecular level better than anybody. And he says it's been seven decades since that experiment. And so the idea, this hopeful idea that we've got the first step, we've created amino acids using just, you know, a lightning strike. And... In the future, we're going to go from that to this, and this science is going to take us through all these different steps. He says, Eric, it's been seven decades. They have not moved that ball forward a millimeter in 70 years of trying and spending billions of dollars on this. In fact, he says, and here's the irony, this is where you get to this book, to the thesis of my book. He says, not only have they not moved the ball forward to figure out how you get from non-life to cells, I mean, it, it, you know, but science makes it super clear that what seemed simple and possible in 1952 is infinitely more difficult than they ever dreamt. So it's not that they haven't figured it out. They have figured out that they can't figure it out. You understand? In other words, we now know enough from science to know that the hope they had in 1952-53 based on this experiment is, it's like alchemy, it's like phrenology, it's absolutely laughable, really, if you're honest. And it's kind of like saying in 1952, like, hey, we, we, we figured out where the target is and we're going to practice aiming at the target and we're going to hit the target. We're going to get it eventually, it's just a matter of time. But while you're learning to aim at the target, the target zips across to the other side of the universe. It's so far away, you'll never hit it, not in billions of years. The, the, the idea that you could ever pull this off has become impossible. So Jim Tour explains this to me. And so he basically says, he's kind of angry, right? He's like, 
They keep spending money trying to figure this out, and I'm here to say, we're going to call the bet. It's over. Show us, show us what you got. Because we know that you've been talking about you know, climbing up this ladder. It's just a matter of time. We're going to get to the top. And I'm here to tell you the ladder has been, been leaning against the wrong building. You're wasting your time. So when I understood this, I thought, this is about one of the most basic questions in science. And most of us, we never talk about that. We talk about evolution. Christians like to talk about But we never talk about this is, is much more fundamental. The idea of how did life begin? So if you ask a scientist, how did life begin? They will say, we know the first cells appeared planet Earth four billion years ago. And you say, okay, okay, if I give you that, tell me, how did that happen? We now know that they don't know. And we know that they know that they don't know. And we know that they know that the more we know, the more we know that we don't know. Did somebody write that down? Because I'll never say that again. I'm telling you, that punch worked. So, I'm here to say that there's something funny about this. We've all been living in a world that bows to science, and, but, but science got way out over its skis in making claims like, we can figure everything out from naturalistic forces without God. We now know that the possibility of the sim simplest cell or bacterium, I mean, as simple as it could possibly ever be, is so much more complex than what could happen randomly by itself that it's actually funny. And if you don't know that an intelligent creator created this, you're playing head games. You're playing games. You just don't like it. But we now know this. And so I remember when, when James Stewart said to me, I said this to me, I thought, how come I, I, I don't read about this in books of apologetics? Nobody seems to deal with this. And this is the most outrageous evidence for God and the failure of science to, to, to give us answers to basic questions. Because, again, what could be more basic than life? How did it get here? Like, that's about the most fundamental scientific question there could be. I thought, why does nobody write about this? And Jim, Jim Tour, why haven't you written a book about this? Well, you know, he's one of these guys, he's writing like a peer-reviewed article every weekend, roughly. And so he doesn't have time to write, you know, silly books that people would read, you know? He's a real scientist. So I said, I think I have time to write silly books like that. Well, I'm just going to say one thing, and that is, wow. Maybe I should have five wows. Uh, popping out at this point because I think Dr. Eric Metaxas has done us a huge service in communicating in a powerful way, but in a in a way that we can all understand. I mean, it's not on the top shelf; it's on that wonderful middle shelf where we can seize the information and really rejoice in what God has done to reveal Himself, not only through you know the molecular biology and the evidence of fine-tuning of the universe and on and on. But in the next section, which we'll be listening to next week, he's going to go into even evidence from archaeology. So I think that's just a unique opportunity when his book is coming to the world at the same time that these talks and next week even a bit of the video interview are available as well. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I would agree 100%. And as you had mentioned earlier in the episode, it's it's kind of cool because he has such a funny sense of humor and he's easy to listen to. So you kind of get both sides of it. Exactly. And, and I think he's asking the question that everybody is avoiding. And that is not only uh, why is the atheist um, 
sides so silent in addressing these scientific problems that are growing enormously. But why is this whole message not even getting out to the wider world? It's almost like somebody is controlling the communication of truth when it comes to the God hypothesis. And so I think, uh, you know, what I would like to say is thank you, Nick, for doing such a fabulous job in uh, helping me to skipper this ship each week. It's been a lot of fun. It has been a lot of fun, and it's also a huge blessing, especially when we get to listen to guys like Eric Metaxas and others um, just give these incredible talks. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.